Hello, and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will look at a movie or TV show written, directed, or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 2020 comedy thriller Pixie, directed by Barnaby Thompson, written by Preston Thompson, starring Olivia Cook, Ben Hardy, Daryl McCormack, Colin Meany, and Alec Baldwin. To get us started, here's our synopsis. Pixie plans a heist that will give her the means to leave her small town. But everything goes wrong and she has to flee from gangsters with two companions that are in way over their heads. We want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We go in depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, go watch the movie and come back. We'll be waiting. Trigger warnings for this episode are gun violence, murder, blood, gore, suffocation. Okay, so... You don't know this, but we're back because we just had some technical difficulties on my end. So that's why the sound quality is different. So apologies for that. Next episode, I will have that figured out. But until then, you get AirPods and that is what we have. Hey, they're great things. As long as we can hear each other, just I just hate letting the sound quality suffer. But the show must go on. Yes, it must. Real quick, just a little housekeeping thing before we get into the episode proper. I've been taking a class on Irish cinema this semester, so I'm going to be doing a Patreon bonus episode about um, Irish cinema, and then I'll do another one on Irish thrillers, because there's quite a few of them, but most of them are not female-focused, so that's why it's not going on our main feed. But the one we're talking about today is, although this is more of a gangster movie than a thriller, I would say. It feels more dark comedy like dark comedy action, I wouldn't necessarily categorize it as thriller either. But just a real quick tap into history. This movie came out in 2020 and a lot of not great things happened. So I picked some of the more like interesting uh, historical facts from that time, such as a Bolivian orchestra was trapped in a castle by wolves for 73 days in 2020. The Pentagon released footage of ufos and nobody cared because we were too busy worrying about other things yeah Uh, i remember when that happened and literally no one talked about it yeah and we still haven't talked about it no we were just kind of like yeah that thing i uh, whatever (laughs) we're so desensitized we're like is are aliens really the worst thing right now like maybe will you come and get me and take me to your planet is it better yes can we just have a do-over do you want this one yeah (laughs) they're in the movies aliens are always trying to get earth it's like you let's trade these would you like like 50 percent of the population of the united states (laughs) to like probe there was a great concert by shakira and jennifer lopez and they did a super bowl game oh yeah i love the shakira jennifer lopez concert it was really nice of them to throw in the football aspect for the men yeah Murder hornets happened in 2020. What was the other thing? There were some kind of tornadoes, like super tornadoes. Or oh, yeah. Water tornadoes, fire tornadoes. Was it fire tornadoes? It might have been. And was that the year that we had meth gators and... Yes, and the pigs. Coke hogs or something. I can't remember what the hogs got into. I feel like it was cocaine. Yeah. The number one song was Blinding Lights by The Weeknds, and the number one movie was Bad Boys for Life. Still haven't seen that one. Me either. Like, I don't think any of us, if we made it through 2020 and you're here now, I don't think you've forgotten it. 
So I don't think we need to go over any of the more depressing details. No, no. That's why I was like, what are some things cool? <laughs> Orchestra and wolves. Okay. I need to know more about that because <laughs> that was the first time I've ever heard anything about it. Yeah, I didn't read the whole article. I just grabbed the headline. I'm not sure what they were doing there, but they could not leave. Wow. Do wolves just really like orchestras? They're like, no, you can't leave. We love the music. <laughs> Or they're like, you know what my favorite delicacy is? Orchestra players. You mean musicians? No, 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 no. <laughs> not any musicians. Like, wolves are not partial to, like, rock bands. They, they're, like, the best... The best musicians to eat, orchestra. Orchestral musicians. So the Foo Fighters is safe. Is safe? The Foo Fighters are safe. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Cool. Because, like, <laughs> they do too many drugs and stuff. I don't know that they're really doing drugs anymore, Laura. The Foo Fighters are old. Oh. Well, I mean, I, don't, I was thinking rock bands in general. Like, I don't, like, never mind. I was going too far with this. <laughs> So wolves are into clean eating. clean eating is what you're saying. Which is me making an assumption about orchestra people. I don't know. They might be throwing giant raves and like massive coke parties every night. I don't know. What was that show on Amazon? I watched it. I watched the first two seasons. I never saw the third. About or the orchestra. It was like about the New York Orchestra or something. New York, New York Symphony. What was that called? Mozart in the Jungle. Oh, I heard that was really good. It was. And that, I, it's like, most of the musicians were fine because they were mostly, like, older people. But, I mean, conductors, man, they are they are the rock stars of the orchestra world. <laughs> At least the one in this show was, Jesus. Well, he could get it. They got that little stick to wave around. What what more do you need? I mean, that's all men need. <laughs> that's uh, what they do daily. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, let's talk about some women let's or talk a woman. About women. I love yes, a woman too. Yes. <laughs> we are talking about Pixie and Pixie. you told me about this movie because you watched it on the plane from Dublin to New York or wherever Chicago. you flew in, Chicago. Yeah. Uh, it was part of like the Irish cinema thing that Aer Lingus had. Yeah, they had a really awesome little Irish cinema collection on the plane and I was very sad to leave Ireland when I did I definitely needed more time I was trying to consume all things Irish so I watched two Irish films and then one British but you know by that point I was almost in Chicago so I thought I needed to kind of start the separation yeah Pixie was the I think it was the second one that I watched but I watched three films on that that um, particular plane ride or plane flight plane flight on that particular flight i watched three films pixie being the second and i think it was my favorite out of the three it was just really fun it was dark had some really fun dark humor strong female character that enjoyed screwing over men men looking dumb woman getting away with it all the things i look for yeah when I want a good movie. And I was thinking about this, and this is a bold statement, but I'm prepared to die on this hill. Pixie gave me the catharsis and the feeling that I wanted when I watched Promising Young Woman that I didn't get. Hmm, okay, I can see that. It's definitely not as heavy of a movie, but yes, it does kind of give that, that feeling, yes. I think on the service, yeah, they definitely lean into the levity more so in this one, but it is pretty damn dark if you really sit and think about what what's happening and what has happened yeah everything with her mom like and her fucked. stepbrother yeah it's really fucked 
and like the whole like because she she wants to avenge her mom and what she finds out about out about her mom's death how she finds out about her mom's like murder and who the murderer is that's really fucking fucked excuse my language but it's really messed up that would do deep deep damage to somebody that would require years of therapy and self-development and discovery to heal one thing that is really nice about this even though he is a gangster it's a really nice portrayal of a step parent i love the stepdad he he is the only man in this movie that gets a pass for me every single other one i'm just like because mm, eh, they try to pass off a few of the leader, leading males as likable but if you really think about it they're not actually that likable and they kind of deserve everything that happens to them. But the stepdad, while he is a gangster with a penchant for violence, in Pixie's word, he is very supportive of his daughters. He stands up for his daughters and advocates for them. Yes. In his own way. And they have good relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Colin Beanie, who plays the stepdad, I absolutely love him in this role. I like him a lot, and I like the way that that relationship is written and played out. It's like, and yeah, he always kind of plays in films. The ones I've seen him in, he always kind of plays kind of um, more, not necessarily, I guess, corrupt characters mm. or characters that kind of toe the line because he always has this likability, but he's often involved in not so great things. But he's he's a very likable actor. So I guess let's go ahead and um, jump into the movie then. Jump right on why don't you so it starts with pixie at her mom's grave and this very kind of like western sounding music like you'd almost think that you're getting ready to watch something like a modern day western with the kind of music that's playing well what it did is it reminded me of quentin tarantino without the horrible person which is something in one of the reviews that I'll read at the end. This was referenced a lot in reviews that I read as being like Tarantino-esque or something that would have been made in the 90s to try to um, like cash in on his uh, success. Because it See, ha- the only time... Oh, it has that um, title card where it says Once Upon a Time in Ireland. In the West. Yeah, in West no, Ireland. A time in the West, and then of Ireland. Yeah. And that was the only thing. The beginning and that part was what gave me Tarantino. The rest of the film kind of stands on its own for me. So yeah, she's at her mom's grave, and she says, You always encouraged me to cause a spot of trouble. So our first thing in the movie is our introduction to her. And then we jump to these two guys in a car. Colin mm-hmm. and Fergus. And Fergus. They're talking about Colin's girl and that he's having some trouble with her. And Fergus is like, but I thought you broke up six months ago. And Colin is still quite upset about this. And like, she's seeing this guy named Tyrone. And Fergus is like, "Mm, there's nobody in town named Tyrone. And don't know anybody by that name. Yeah. And they pull up to this church and they put on these animal masks, a panda and I can't remember what the other one is. Was he a a pig? Might have been. I, I don't remember what Fergus was, but um Col- or Colin's the panda. Yeah. Colin's and they panda. pull out their guns and they go in the church and there's this table of priests in there and they're like Give us the drugs and the money. And the priests are like, what are you talking about? This is a Catholic church. There are no drugs here. Well, they 
drugs have no place in the Catholic Church. Yes. I just, they really go out of their way to take some shots at the Catholic Church in this film. And I am here for it. And this is the first of many. Oh, the two guys are, they're doing a really good job of being like, we don't know what you're talking about. This is just, these are some priests from another country. And the guys are like, maybe we made a mistake. I and he's like, say a Hail Mary. The one priest says, well, he's he doesn't speak the language. And he's like, if he's a priest, he knows how to say a Hail Mary. More specifically, if he's Catholic, oh, he yeah. knows how to say a Hail Mary. And that's when they spot the bag under the table. And that's when the police, I mean, the, the police, the priests come out with their guns blazing and we have a big shootout okay that felt that felt vaguely tarantino okay maybe there are a couple more tarantino vibes in this yeah because i felt found that so funny because they were so believable about your priest and this is the church and guys i don't know what you're talking about and then everybody has a gun <laughs> yeah and some big guns Use too. Gun. everybody has a gun they find the bag that has money and a whole bunch of drugs Drug. in it. And they take this and the, you know, the priests are dead and they're on their way and this is great. And they're celebrating in the car. The glove box accidentally comes open and Colin is like, oh, let's look at your picture. Because of course everybody's ID pictures are always terrible. And he pulls it out and we see that Fergus's middle name is Tyrone. Dun, dun. Done. And Colin doesn't even take a beat. He's just like, oh, it's you. And yeah, he, he knew really quickly. He pulls a gun and he's like, so what were y'all going to do? You know, what was the plan? And he says, oh, we were going to go to San Francisco with the money. Colin is just like, uh, and what were you going to do to me to get away with all the money? I don't even think he waits for him to answer. He just shoots him right there. Fergus is driving when Colin shoots him. Just FYI. Yeah, yeah. I, not real big on the whole self-preservation thing. Colin's not. I think it just goes to show Colin is not necessarily stable because that didn't even cross his mind. He just got angry. He wanted him dead and he made it happen. And so he gets out of the car and starts walking and drops his panda mask. Panda, panda, panda. And poor Pixie's waiting at the airport and the flight to San Francisco's leaving. No Fergus, no money. So she takes her suitcase and she goes home. And then later that night, she goes to the pub to see if anybody's... It's not a pub, it's a club. Oh yeah, it's a club. Let's go, girl. There's a lot of dancing going on there. And that's where we first Frank and Harlan. Yep, our two guys. So Pixie's asking at the bar, trying to see if anyone's seen Fergus or Colin, because they have just disappeared. Fergus isn't answering his phone. And then as she's walking around, Frank and Harlan are like, oh man, there's Pixie Hardy. And just salivating. And they meet up with Daniel, the local drug dealer, and they buy something from him. I'm guessing ecstasy. I don't know much about drugs, guys. But it's a little white pill. Is it MDMA? Maybe. I don't know what that is. I, I'm not sure what it is either. Uh, I know <laughs> it's a drug. I'm not into the designer drugs anymore or ever. My my drugs are Alka-Seltzer, cold, and flu. So Literally. Literally. I had to act, actually give up melatonin recently just because it was too much. So 
it's, it's going well. You got that vitamin C? Yeah. I just stocked up on some echinacea, man. Oh, man. I just found a sweet stash of kombucha. <laughs> so they're like, oh, I have to talk to Pixie. And Harlan says, what are you going to say to her that you haven't managed to say up to this point? He's like, I don't know, but it's going to be great. Also, Daniel has a great line in the beginning of the scene, which is three in the bed and the little one said, let's do some drugs. But he also says something that I find interesting that Harlan and Frank do not take into consideration or listen to at all. But she, he goes, she's pixie hardy. She won't just break your heart. She'll take a Kalishnikov to your heart. Or she won't just break you. She'll take a Kalishnikov to your heart. Which a Kalishnikov is a big-ass Russian rifle. Oh, geez. So Daniel has kind of let them know, like, hey, you know, maybe, maybe rethink what you're thinking. Because maybe it's not a great idea. And they're just like, ah, nah. They're men. Are they going to make the best decision? They're doing more drugs in the bathroom. And Daniel tells them that Pixie has gotten into taking photographs of men that she is having sex with. Because she's using them as her portfolio to get into the San Francisco art school or institute of art something like that and they're like oh boy this is great for us they don't even care that they're going to be photographed which is like i'm just male privilege male privilege they don't even care but they also think that they're just going to show up at at her house at two o'clock in the morning and just both one right after the other hook up with her like you're just going to knock on the door she's going to be like yeah okay come on in and she's going to hook up with one He'll come out and the other one will go in. Yeah, I, I don't know why they think that this is going to happen, but... But this is the reason. In the end, I don't feel sorry for what happens to them. Because clearly, they were not viewing her as a person. So I feel like maybe, hopefully, they learn their lesson and other characters. But it just they weren't thinking of her as a person. They were thinking of her as a commodity that, that could just be used. Yeah, because neither one of them were like, oh, no, I want to, like, pursue a relationship with her. They're both just like, ah, I'll go, and then you go. Like, Like, I get to play with the toy, and then... Cool, or, you know, I really like her personality, or I like her style. Nothing. Just, I've heard that she's wild in the sack, so let's have a go. Uh, And that's what they do. So they show up to her house at 2 a.m. Yeah. And then they have to decide who goes first. Yeah, which is just disgusting to me. It makes me hate both of them. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it based on age. Frank is three months older or something. Two months older. So he goes first. He knocks on her door and says, I heard you like taking photos. And she's like, okay. And he's like, do you know of any photo shops in the area? And I love how calm, cool, and collected she is. Because she's just like, ah, Frank McCullen. And so you really came to my house at 2 a.m. in the morning to ask me if there's any good Photoshop. She just handles him so perfectly. And he is trying so hard to come off so cool. But he looks like such a little dirtbag. Also, we forgot to mention that if these boys had done their research, they would know what they were getting into. But of course they didn't because Daniel even mentions the photographer that she's trying to be like Nan Golden, who if you Google Nan Golden, you will see the kind of pictures that she took. (laughs) 
Mm. Oh, yeah. And um, Pixie decides to let Frank in, which I very much enjoy. But she calls him Richard Avedon, which I thought was a really great reference because he's an American fashion and portrait photographer. That was heavily featured in Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. Um, very well-renowned photographer. So I thought that was a funny little. Okay, I didn't know that. And I think it shows her intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Because she definitely is smarter than these two guys. She does take photos of him. We see clothes strewn across the floor. There's music playing. Frank is wrapped in a sheet on the bed with makeup on, posing. And she's... Give me cabaret vibes. Yeah, very much so. And she's like, relax your jaw. Uh, (laughs) great. But while this is happening inside... Colin shows up and is pounding on the door, screaming. He takes a gun out and he's like, I know you've got somebody up there, so I'm going to come and kill you. And Harlan... I'm going to shoot the door down. Yeah, Harlan decides that the best course of action is to run him over with the car. Again, to clue you in that these guys might not be as likable and good as they want you to think they are. Yeah, Harlan's first move is not to talk to the guy or, I mean, that's, that'd be a very bad move, or to call the police, nothing. He's like, nah, let me hit this dude with my car. And then put him in the trunk. The trunk. Slash boot of the car. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah, the boot. Yeah, he doesn't even wait. Like, he doesn't hit the guy and then call him. He's like, oh, no, I gotta hide this. Because when Frank comes out, he has him in the boot of the car already. He doesn't call the police. He doesn't, he does ask him if he's okay, but. I think he's pretty well gone at that point. Yeah. But yeah, so Frank comes out acting quite the macho man that has just, you know, fulfilled a conquest. Harlan has Colin in the boot. He tells Frank, and they're like, what the hell? And then they find the drugs. And then they're like, awesome, we got these drugs. Let's go back to my place. And not worry about at all that there is a corpse in the boot. Like, they didn't, that didn't really seem to bother them that much. No, not too much. The next day, Pixie goes to have dinner with her dad and her sister and her stepbrother, who is just a disgustingly awful person. He is literally the worst. Because later on, remind me when we get to the scene, you know the one I'm talking about, when we're all with Pixie at at the boot of the car, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Because they say something, and then it led me down this whole rabbit hole. So remind me to say that. But okay. yeah, Mick is the worst. He's so bad, in fact, that, okay, okay, so he is, what's the dad's name? I've lost it. Because the actor's name is Colum, but I can't think <laughs> what the dad's name is. Let me look it up. Because it's like this guy, this the stepdad, he has one son. In most depictions of a father-son relationship, the only son is revered. Mm-hmm. Like, they are put in a place of prominence. They are like, can do no wrong, da 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 da. And while he does have a place of prominence within, within the syndicate that his dad runs, Dermot, his name is Dermot O'Brien. That's fucking Irish. But uh, so, yeah, Mick is Dermot's only son. And he can barely stand him. Because it's like he's sitting there talking with the younger daughter who I absolutely love uh summer who's talking about how she had to knock a boy's two front teeth in because he said she had she called he called her double chin a gobbler so you know they're just talking about that and um yeah so he has a great relationship with summer and with pixie and he's 
so loving to them and so supportive and just such a nice exchange. And Mick clearly has so much contempt for Pixie. I don't think he really cares about Summer. But the thing is, is he says things, he like smacks Summer on the head because she says something. And then they're telling Pixie that they found Fergus's body and Colin's missing. And he's like, you had something to do with this. And just going after her, Dermot, the dad, defends the girls against Mick, which typically with the father-son relationship, especially in like kind of a mob style movie, it's like that is sacred. So to see the dad telling the son, it's like, you will apologize to your sister. And if you ever hit your sister in the head again, you'll deal with worse than that it's like okay this uh, mick is the worst but it's nice to see someone standing up to him even though it doesn't really make a bit of difference i mean he still continues to have this terrible behavior and the dad really doesn't do anything about it but it is nice that he calls him out because yeah you're right usually the son is like oh can do no wrong yeah Um, or it's like guys guys but no he straight up is not taking his shit when it comes to the girls. He maybe takes his shit in other areas, but not when it comes to the daughters. And so I love how he these... might be the leader of a crime organization, but he's A-OK in my book. And I love how these actors work together too, because so many times families, like they look like they go together, but you don't really feel it. This one, they felt like they could actually be a family. It had They had really good connection and chemistry. Even Mick and Pixie, and clearly they hate each other. Uh, going back to when Frank shows up at Pixie's door, she calls him a jammy bastard, and I just really liked that. A jammy bastard, what does that mean? I don't know exactly, but it makes me think of those cookies, jammy dodgers. Oh my gosh, people have looked this up. It's kind of like, uh, okay, so the, it's used, So David got that new promotion. He is a jammy bastard. So it's like something, to have something easy. Oh, okay. Kind of sounds like, you lucky son of a bitch. That's kind of the same vibe it gives me. Okay, I like the way that sounds. And they did find, during the night, they found the car with Fergus in it. And Fergus. they find the Had panda. Nice about, oh yeah. And they're like, find the panda. Had a nice little chat about death and reincarnation. Yeah, I did love that. (laughs) I thought that was nice. That that kind of shows the difference, I think, between American filmmaking and other country filmmaking, especially like UK or Irish or what have you, is like (laughs) they're having this philosophical conversation about death and reincarnation while at an active crime scene that they're trying to cover up. Yeah. And one of the things that I really liked at their family dinner was how Summer tells him how he could kill somebody with bubble gum. Oh, yeah. Make their stomach explode. Death yeah. by bubble gum. And he just looks at her like, I don't know. Yeah. She also vapes and he has a big problem with it. But it's not because she vapes. It's because she just doesn't smoke the real thing. Yeah. And she's got all these and wallets spread out oh, on yeah. the uh cabinet all that she's been pickpocketing so she'll probably be taking over the family business but you can't shoot a gun till you get your junior cert and this is when pixie does find out that fergus is dead and colin is missing yeah she has a really tense fucked up encounter with mick because he lays it on her and basically accuses her of being part of it which she was so he's not wrong but she like leaves to go to the bathroom. He follows her and 
they're like nose to nose having this really heated tense exchange and he ends up strangling her like putting his hands around her neck and strangling her and this is what i love about pixie and i think this shows us a lot about her character is so as he's strangling her like in the beginning she she looks helpless she looks like a victim but then she's like yeah you like that she starts smiling and taunting him and it's so disturbing and freaks him out so much that he lets go. But I loved it because it's like we see we see her in this very vulnerable position, but yet she's not vulnerable at all. She's completely in control. And so our two um, just smart on the ball guys decide the best way our base to team sell these drugs that they've looked up on Google is worth um, a million euro street value is to go talk to Daniel and find out who his supplier is and sell them to the supplier. Yeah, Daniel's not too keen on this. Yeah, he offers them $800 for them in installments. Also, he um, does show them the wonders of creme de la mer face cream because <laughs> he works at an airport and he's going through the bag and he's using the skincare. And he's like, it's actually quite nice. It does make a difference. Yeah. And he's correct about it. So he tells them who his supplier is, his uncle Raymond, who lives in also, Dingle. Also, can we talk about that? For Yeah, he lives in Dingle. But the way that they get the information is so fucked up. And again, makes me not really upset for these boys and all the shit they get put through. Is they threaten to tell the older brother of the girl that Daniel is sleeping with. And she is underage and he is giving her drugs and having sex with her. And instead of telling the brother or, or telling their friend that that's wrong, they use it as leverage to get information. Yeah. Again, proving that they do not care about the safety of women. Nope. So we'll take a short break here real quick to talk about our director, Barnaby Thompson. Because... I didn't know, but is my actual hero. <laughs> he has four feature film credits. Pixie, I think, was the last thing that he directed as of yet. But the second thing that he directed is one of your personal favorite movies, Lacey. It is St. Trinian's, which, if y'all have not seen this, it is a delightful mess. It's wonderful. Rupert Everett plays the headmistress. Uh, oh my gosh, I love this movie so much, and you're going to see so many familiar faces. You will see Jonathan Bailey of Bridgerton fame, who he's about to be like the main focus of season two. He has a very small role in it. He's like, like a, I don't know, like a schoolboy. And um, Juno Temple, that is in Ted Lasso. She is in this movie. This is actually the first place I ever saw her. Um, Gemma Arterton, who is in James Bond and a couple other things, she's in this as well. So. Russell Brand is in it. Who um, we don't care about that Celia much. Celia Emery. No, yeah. Celia uh, Emery is. I love her. Colin Firth. He is. He falls in love with Rupert Everett as the headmistress. And my thing is, is who wouldn't? Yeah. Oh, and um, um, the woman, Jody Jody Whitaker. Oh, she's in it too? That, yes, she is. She's one of the teachers. Very different type of role because uh, I almost didn't realize it was her. But yeah, Jody Whitaker's in that. Wow. There is a sequel that's not great. I've never seen it. I believe you have it. I gave it to you for your birthday one year. I know I have it, but I still have yet to watch it. <laughs> it has David Tennant in it as the leader of like this men's group that is dedicated to making sure all women stay in their place. <sighs> no, David 
David Tennant, why? And then also St. Trinian's has one of my absolute favorite quotes of all time. <laughs> and it's the two head mistresses talking. Because what's her name, Miss Pickle? What's her name? I haven't seen it in so long. We used to watch what's it every year for your birthday. We Britain, Miss Britain, is talking to the head mistress of the other school. They're playing uh, some sport. And she calls them snotty cows. <laughs> well, first there's, um, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, she calls them a snotty cow. And then she says something about, Emily snotty cow, please remember to stretch. That's one of the, but then it's, what do you think of my girls? Horse. Excuse me? Emma, horse. Pull up your stockings. You're a Cheltenham lady. <laughs> so, like, I love that so much. So if y'all like Pixie and you were like, hmm, let me check out this dude's other work. Check out St. Trinian's. You should, because I, and I'm putting it in our recommendations right now. Back to the movie. When Pixie gets home, she notices some blood on the road. While she's looking at negatives of her photos, something in her mind clicks and she's like, I should go visit Frank. And he just happens to have left his address with his phone number the night before because she was like, oh, my phone's broken. I can't give you my phone number. So he's like, I'll give you mine. So she shows up at Frank's place and they have hidden this whole bag of drugs under the bed, under the mattress. So the mattress is like raised up really high because they just shoved the whole bag under there. Like it would have been better, better if they just hadn't tried to hide it. Yeah, if it was just a bag these guys are stupid so stupid she talks to them she's she's a real smooth talker and she basically Mm -hmm. is like i know you did this so you've got two choices you can either kill me because i know that you did this but i'm the only one that's going to be able to get you out of this situation alive so that's probably not good also i assume that colin was going to kill me so thanks for saving my life i'm partial to an adventure so let's do this they get in the car Yep, they get in the car. Oh, there's a great scene with uh, the gangster dad where he's watching a cooking show. and He's watching Nigella. Not just a cooking show, he's watching Nigella. And talking about uh, bell peppers and he's <gasps> cutting a green one and she's like, and I will excommunicate anyone who uses a green pepper. And he like pushes that thing away and is like, no. <laughs> about that time is when we start getting kind of the backstory into the O'Brien crime gang and, and, and his ex-partner who's a priest. And whilst watching Nigella, in comes Mick the worst and changes the channel just as he's in the midst of cooking. um, Dermot is. It's to show him a broadcast that's live at the church where the priests have been gunned down by Colin and Fergus. And who is there but his former partner? Alec Baldwin. Whose name is Hector something. McGrath. Father Hector, Father Hector McGrath. And it's like, I, that is such an inspired choice. <laughs> it's like, whoever put Alec Baldwin as an Irish gangster priest, like whoever did that casting, immediate Oscar immediate it was such it was so good and he he did such a great job in this like his accent was pretty well done i'm not irish so i might be talking out of my arse but i thought it was okay who has thoughts who has thoughts oh no i i've been curious too because 
sometimes I'll hear an accent in a movie that we watched for a class and I'll think it was pretty good. And then one of my classmates will be like, and their accent was terrible. So I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> no. So I don't know, but I, I enjoyed him in this. I, I love Alec Baldwin as an actor. Like pretty much if he's in it, I'll go see it. Yeah. I know his, he's had some questionable issues. Um, but and he's going through a lot right now, but I do enjoy him as an actor. I thought it was a fun choice, you know, cause it's not a, it's not a huge role. Um, and it did exactly. lend a little like Hollywood stardom to this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and as it, it, they're not happening at the same time, but they're all happening kind of around each other. Cause we get the interview with father Hector broadcast and he's like openly, sending this thinly veiled threat to the O'Brien group, whatever they call themselves. He's like, you know, God is watching and God will have his vengeance. But also he's like, I'm also going to shoot you. So that's happening. But also Pixie's in the car with Frank and Harlan and she's kind of telling them the backstory of the, of the gangster priest to, and how they get away with it. Cause they're like, you know, security, police don't check priests. They can get away. I have the quote written down because, again, another shot at the Catholic Church, which I quite enjoy, is priests can get away with murder, literally, or institutionalized pedophilia for a couple hundred years. Yeah. Which is like, I didn't realize how far Ireland kind of broke away from the Catholic Church when all of this crap started coming out until you told me when we came to visit, Laura, because I always think of Ireland as a very, very Catholic country, which I'm sure a lot is still. But um, yeah, they, they really parted ways in a big way with Catholicism when all of the pedophilia started coming out. My friend said they're culturally Catholic, but they're not religiously Catholic. So like there's right. still a lot of things that people customs will... Customs and things. Yeah, customs that people will follow, but... They don't go to church as much, and there's um there's a lot of atheists here. Oh, yeah, we find out <laughs> the whole backstory about how Pixie's mom met uh, Pixie's dad because her first husband ran off with the keyboardist of the band that they were in, and she was like, yeah, he's he's my dad. He's my stepdad, German. but he's my dad. Yeah. For all intents and purposes. They stop for ice cream. They actually stop twice. There's, like, two scenes in a row where they stop. The and ice cream... No, wait, is it the ice cream stop? No, 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 I'm sorry, it's the next stop that's my favorite. I love that. So the ice cream stop, Pixie's getting the ice cream, and the two guys are sitting on the bench, like, looking out at these sheep. Harlan is like, so, like, what was last night like? Of course, Frank is like, oh, it was mental, and you wouldn't so believe crazy. it. Harlan's like, oh, man. And then they go, did you know that a woman has 8,000 nerve endings in her clitoris? Just at that point, Pixie goes, what are y'all talking about? And they're like, oh, the sheep. <laughs> I don't know. The conversation goes on and she just offhandedly goes, yeah, it's around about 8,000. And just kind of walks off with her ice cream. And the guys are like, what? Oh, my gosh. Women can experience pleasure. Dermot and Mick decide that they're going to call Seamus. Seamus. 
And Seamus is at this moment dragging a guy through a field making a uh, infinity symbol figure, figure eight. eight. Dragging him behind a truck by his feet. Yeah, trying to get some information out of him. And the guy finally caves and is like, here's what you need to know. And he's like, oh, thanks. I still got to kill you. But he's also, his mask is the bunny. Yep. At that moment, he gets the phone call where Dermot is saying, I need you to look into this. I need you to find Colin. And Mick is, you know, yelling into the phone, ask Pixie. It's Pixie knows. It's all about Pixie. And he's like, okay, fine, fine. I'll find Colin with or without Pixie. And then he shoots the guy. Well, he said he would. Yeah. And then... Like, I don't like it any more than you. Our trio makes another stop to get gas. And there's a little shop there. And so Harlan and Pixie go into the shop. Frank gets out of the car. He sees this. What is this kid? I'm sorry, guys. I'm not Catholic, so I don't know. He's like not an acolyte. I don't know if that's right. It's like a a little priest in training. I don't know. Altar boy. Maybe an altar boy? I mean, it looked a little old, but maybe. Frank asks him if there's anything going on. He's like, you can't. No, no, no. He's an altar. An altar boy is a boy who assists the priest during a service. So he's an altar boy. Or he's a priest in training. I kind of think he might be like a priest in training. But anywho, oh my gosh, this is like my favorite thing because it, A, feels very Irish to me because he just goes up and starts talking to this guy. Like, just the guy's sitting on the bitch, he's in the car, he crosses the street, and they just start talking. He's like, oh, please. And immediately just launch into, like, don't you want to be out chasing girls? And, and he's asking, he goes, oh, well, the father keeps me quite, or the priest's father, whoever, keeps me quite busy. He's like, there's no funny business going on. Again, another shot, which I absolutely love. He goes, oh, no, no, he's a good man. He's like, wouldn't you rather be running around with girls? He's like, I'm married to the Lord. And then he goes, oh, I watch videos. And then he looks up and, and he up goes, Sorry. <laughs> But I just love that so much because it, 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 it was it's such a funny exchange, but also just the fact that they just start talking yeah. is very much just in my very limited experience in Ireland felt very true because no one's shy to have a conversation or to strike one up. Uh, very much so, yeah. And then so, inside the shop, Pixie is uh, f- like flirting with the shopkeeper or... She's giving him the history of tequila. And also, during the Spanish invasion, they created the 69. Is yes. What she's, she's like, I thought that was the French. Tells the shopkeeper. So he goes into the back to look for the brand of tequila that she likes. She's flirting with him to get him distracted. Yeah. And while he's back there, she steals all the money out of the register and the bottle of tequila that she has. And Harlan is like, what are you doing? She's like, come on! Yeah, and so they run out, they get in the car, and they're like, Frank, come on! And he's like, just a minute, guys. Oh my gosh, this is one of my favorite exchanges. And when I was watching this on the plane, after this part, I had to stop, and I didn't dare say it out loud because we were around a lot of people, a lot of older people, so I was like, ooh, I don't want to risk anyone hearing you say this. But I had to write out what the guy, what Frank says. But he looks at the priest, they're having this conversation, he's like, I gotta run, but here's the thing. If God didn't want to see pussy... Why would he make it shaped like a taco? And on that note, he jumps in the car and leaves. <laughs> and makes a vulgar symbol as he's walking, uh, as he's driving away to the to the altar boy priest, priest in training guy. But it's like, 
I, you know, yes. That's the only point Frank gets for me. (laughs) So these three show up at this fish warehouse where all these fish are. And Wow, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) In case there was any confusion there. There was fish. And as they're walking through, Pixie picks up a knife that's laying on the table. They go in to this office. Uh, They're going to see Uncle Raymond. And it's Dylan Moran! I love this guy. Dylan Moran! He's so funny in this. Like, he's funny in everything that I've seen him do. But I love him in this role. Just got a ticket to go see him in June. I'm so excited. But anyway, he's on the phone with somebody and he goes, hey, I gotta go. Harry, Ron, and Hermione just walked in. (laughs) I really hope he (laughs) ad-libbed that. They're like, hey, sir. How do you do? We have these drugs we want to sell you. And he's like, okay. Pixie says something and he's like, oh, you're a comedian. And then uh, Harlan says something and he... I can't remember what he says about Harlan, but um, he looks at Frank and he goes, and what do you bring to the table? And Frank goes, energy and a positive attitude. Positive attitude. And he's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I think he, doesn't he say that? He might. He's a great, he's a grand. They sh- he's like, let me see the drugs. So they put the bag on the table. Mary Lou comes over and tastes the drugs and gives her a nod of approval. He's like, it's good drugs. Yeah. And he's like, so is this all of it? There's no more. And they're like, we didn't even save a little bit for later. And he's like, okay, and what are you carrying? And they're like, what? Oh, no, no guns. No, we're we're being on the level with you. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to take these and y'all are going to deal with it because that's how this works. And <laughs> they were like, no, no, that's not fair. And he said, did that sound as stupid in your head as it did coming out of your mouth? Because <laughs> it's like, no, they're expecting the drug dealers to be like on the up and up. Mary Lou shows them that they've got a cabinet full of guns. As he leans over to say something, Pixie stabs him through the hand and pins him to the desk with the knife. And Harlan grabs the barrel of the gun that Mary Lou has, like slaps her or back hands her yeah he apologizes and then he's like ah my wrist (laughs) so he can't drive the car as they're getting away because he hurt his wrist Um, and they have a little bonfire on the beach where pixie tells them that she was planning on going to san francisco without Fergus. And they were like, ooh, that's a little bit cold. You know, weren't you ever in love? And she was like, yes, I was once. I was in love with this guy, Gareth. Named Gareth. Gareth McGraw, who is the nephew of her father's rival. Yeah. McGrath. I thought it was McGrath. Oh, McGrath. Yes, I'm sorry. I was like, it's Hector McGrath. I was like, he really has a nephew named McGraw? (laughs) I mean, it's entirely possible. It just seems like they might differentiate the names a little bit if that were necessary. (laughs) And they go for a swim in water that would be freezing. Yeah, I was like, ah, this is so cute. No. No. Because she's like, I'm not going in. And they were like, ah, come on. Go to your into it. I'm like, no amount of voting would make me get in that water. That is ice cold. No, I stand strong. So they go to a hotel. This is when 
Frank has to come clean about the fact that he didn't actually sleep with Pixie. She decides to have a little fun with them. And they're drinking, and she makes out with Harlan... And then she sits between them and she makes out with Frank. While this is going on, we see that the guy from the shop is dead. And then we see that Mary Lou and Raymond are also dead. And then, so while this is going on, we go back to the hotel room and Pixie's like, all right, now you two kiss. So the guys start kissing. That's when Seamus bursts into the room. Pixie jumps off the bed and she's like, Seamus, you saved me! So she's gonna throw these guys under the bus right away. Nothing going on. And he's, Seamus, he's not having any of it. He's like, Pixie, put the handcuffs on. Yeah, he's basically, yeah. It makes her like zip tie herself. And he takes them out into the middle of nowhere and has the two guys digging their own graves. And then he's like, where's Colin? And they're like, I don't know where Colin is. And he's like, because you're friends with Pixie, you're getting a, you know, I'm going to give you a quick death and a proper burial. If you keep pushing your luck, because they're begging for their lives. He's like, if you keep pushing your luck, it's going to get worse or something like that. So finally, Harlan is just like, no, I'm going to tell him that he's in the boot of the car. And Seamus is like, what? <laughs> That's crazy. Opens <laughs> the boot and Colin is still alive and he shoots hey, Seamus. He's not dead. I'm not dead yet. He's not dead yet. Yeah. And then he shoots Seamus and Seamus is like, fuck you. And he shoots Colin. Yeah. <laughs> and then Colin shoots him again. So they're just like, ah, shit. And shooting each other. So Colin's hanging halfway out the boot. Seamus has been shot. The boy ran up, get the gun. Let and Pixie's like, let me cut cut my wrist. The, the thingies, the, the zip ties. They cut her free. <laughs> they cut her free. They don't cut her wrist. Yes. But yeah, so she's like, yeah, just co- go keep digging those holes. They're like, they're not dead yet. He, she goes, ah, technicality. They probably will be soon. No, and this is like where we get to a really important part of the film. So let's take a quick break and talk about our leading lady, Olivia Cook. Let's do. So she was born in Oldham, Greater Manchester, to sales representative Lindsay Wilde and retired police officer John Cook. She started acting when she was eight years old in an after-school drama program. Although her agent discouraged her from going to drama school because she was already getting paid work, she did apply to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, and she made it to the final round but was not accepted. So, any aspiring actors out there who don't get into drama school, it's not the end of the world. Yep. She was in a movie that we saw called Thoroughbreds that also had Anya Taylor-Joy in it that I think you really liked when we saw it. Did you call her Onion Taylor-Joy? No. Isn't she? Isn't it Anya? A-N-Y-A? Anya, but you said, you said Anya. It sounded <laughs> like you said Anya. Because I was like, her name is what? Yeah, and didn't Onion. So, you know, Olivia Cook and Onion Taylor Joy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I really that movie was really hyped up for me. I don't remember loving it, but I want to see it now with um, my my um, thirty four year old eyes versus whatever age I was before. Yeah, I did not like it, but it might. I don't remember liking it either. It might be one that needs a second viewing. Yeah. So she also was in Ready Player One and The Sound of Metal, which I just saw, which is a fantastic movie. 
Yeah, I didn't uh, realize that was her in The Sound of Metal. I know, me either. And then she's most well-known for the Bates Motel. She was in that TV series. I, I've never seen it. I don't know what character she plays, but when I looked her up, that was the first thing that kept popping up was Bates Motel. I think she's really good. I do, too. I really thought she carried this movie. Like, I thought everyone had excellent chemistry, but you always need the glue. And I feel like she functioned really well as that. That's what one of the reviews that I'll read talks about, just uh, how great she is. Oh, dang. I haven't even read any of the reviews, the printed reviews. But back to the movie. Yeah. So she's sitting there in the boot talking to Colin while they're digging the graves. And she says... He calls her a whore first. She tells him a story, a bedtime story, about how her mother was in the hospital with stage four cancer, but they'd just gotten the news that she was, it seemed like the chemo was working. As she was walking down the hall to visit her, a strange figure came out of her room. Then she hears the beeping and the heart monitor and she, her mom's not breathing. So she knew that her mother had been suffocated, but nobody believed her. They said that, oh, it was just, you know, her, that she'd given up and her body gave out. She was too weak, but she remembered the name right, that was right before hers in the guest book. Jeremy Fisher. I'm trying to remember. Jeremy Fisher. And so she discovered that it was Colin who killed her mother because she had to go to the bathroom and there was no toilet paper on the roll. So well, she they were at his his place watching a movie. So that's that's where they were. So I, that was kind of important. Oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> Is it like she just had to go to the bathroom? Yeah, she had to go to the bathroom and that's how she figured it out. Well, um, her mother was murdered and she needed to pee. She says tinkle. Tinkle, yes, she does say tinkle. A couple of times in the movie. But anyway, she pulls out the basket with the paper in it and notices a stack of Beatrix Potter books. Peter Rabbit and the duck one, and I don't remember what they all are. And one of the books is Jeremy Fisher. And she's, and she's like, if you had just changed the role in the bathroom, you would have gotten away with it. Yep, and so... But she, she was content to leave him on his own. She wasn't going to retaliate. She was just going to leave. And that's why she broke up with him and made the plan with Fergus. Yeah. But then he, in her words, he, he messed that up too. So now, yeah. we're here. So now he's um getting what, uh sowing what he reaped. She says, why did you do it? And he goes, I was paid. And she says, who? And he says, you know who. And this is where I wanted to say this. So when he said that, that made me laugh because I was like, <laughs> Voldemort killed her mom. <laughs> and then I was thinking, because he means Mick, who you know who is. And I was like, you know what? I think I would rather hang out with Voldemort than Mick. Like he doesn't have a nose, but... Or hair. Yeah. But he still seems like he'd be more fun to hang out with than Mick. You know, I don't think you're wrong. I'm not wrong. We can learn some spells, go, you know, wage war on our enemies, or, you know, yeah. maybe not. But anywho, yeah, so you know who in this film is Mick. So she finds out Mick put a hit out on her mom. So she's like, all right, Colin, it's time to go. So she holds... No, 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 no. And then he's like... I love you. I, or I loved you. And she goes, you know, she goes, oh, baby, I almost loved you, too. And then suffocates in the worst way. She, like, covers his mouth and holds his nose. And he's in such bad condition, he can't fight her off. Yeah. And then she's like, this one's gone. <laughs> yeah. And then 
she's like, here, bury him. And they're like, where are you going? She's like, ah, I don't much like burials or funerals. So she like walks off. Well, Seamus is still alive and they're like, what about him? So she just picks up the gun and point blank just shoots him. That's after she goes and she walks off to make a phone call. Yeah. But, and then she comes back and shoots Seamus. But what was the phone call? So the phone call was her setting up this next bit. So after they're buried, she's like, hey guys, there's like this really lovely church down the way. Let's go to it. And they're like, uh, the fuck? This lovely church. And she's this like, no, church. no, I got a plan. Don't worry. And they're like, so we're going to sell the drugs back to the people that they were stolen from. And she's like, exactly. Exactamundo. So we get this nice shot of these very uniform SUVs pulling up to this little church. Father McGrath is there. These priests and these nuns get out of the car. And he's like, Gareth, will you say the prayer? And he says, and we see Gareth. Yeah, so we get to meet Gareth, and then he says something really mundane, like, you know, Father, please watch over us in this time. And McGrath is like, that's good. <laughs> He's like, brevity in these situations is, is best, son, or something like that. And then he goes, well, these guns aren't going to shoot themselves. So in the... <laughs> Back of one of the SUVs are all these guns, so the nuns and the priests all go get a gun. They get armed up. And then the three of them, uh, Frank, Harlan, and Pixie, are hiding inside the confessional, which, I mean, is one of the first places I would look for them. But that... 100%. Doesn't seem to occur to these gangsters, so I don't know. I also thought of a movie that we need to write... If there isn't one already called Nuns with Guns. Nuns with Guns and None Shall Survive. Yeah. <laughs> Nuns survive, Nuns with Guns. Exactly. Don't steal our idea. Yeah, if you do, we'll know. And we'll send the Nuns with Guns. Yeah. It's based on true story. They've got this whole plan mm -hmm. where they're like, hey, bring us in the money. We're hiding. And Alec Baldwin is like, no, I prefer to do business in the in front of the eyes of the Lord or something like that. So come out of yeah. hiding. And she's like, no, she's like, but I'm the one doing the deal. <laughs> I totally thought one of the guys was going to sneeze and give away their position, but that doesn't happen. <laughs> it felt, it really felt or like they were going to get found yeah. because it's just father Frank who enters the church, the church. And so he's having this dialogue with Pixie and then he's like, because they have the money, they have something, it's like suspended in the air or something. Yeah. And so he's like, I got to have my guy bring the money in. Well, that means the nuns with guns, the priests with guns, the priests that are packing and the nuns with guns yeah. <laughs> have to come in. And they're like, you know, we have you surrounded. We're going to fuck you up. Give us the stuff and come out of hiding. And about this time is when Dermot and the O'Briens show up. And I love the, the shot of their cars because they all have different cars and they're in different colors. They're not the same uniform SUVs that McGrath's group has. It's a much more homegrown group. Yeah, and they all burst in wearing animal masks. That's their thing. Yeah, which doesn't seem great because it limits your view, but again, don't have it much experience It doesn't seem to bother here, them so, in this yeah. movie. But they do take the masks off because McGrath is like, aren't you too old to be playing dress up? And they have a minute where they're like, okay, are we going to do this? We've been at 
peace for a while, and then they decide to do it. Then they decide to hell with peace. There's some really great, like, this whole thing goes down in slow motion pretty much. and Well, because they're talking about Pixie kind of, and then Dermot is like, whenever you're, or anytime now, Pixie. Or something like that. And then what is she? She drops something, doesn't oh, she? Oh, yeah. She drops the bundle that was supposed to be the drugs, but I think it was it was something yeah. else. It or maybe it the was drugs. the drugs. It could have been the drugs because they don't care about the drugs. Yeah. They want the money. And it was white powder because it hits one of the priests on the head and, like, white powder explodes. So Which would really hurt. But yeah, then we get this awesome slow motion shootout with the guys. And it feels like some of them put their animal masks back on. They might. I'm like, it's not a shield. Are these bulletproof? But go off. So it's, you know, all these guys in animal masks and then all of the various clergy people, if you will. They're just, it's this slow motion, really stylized shootout. And Father Hector uses his own you know he uses whoever i think it's one of the nuns as a shield but yeah so all hell is breaking loose in this little tiny church and then it 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 goes outside of the church and summer is there and she's waiting by the car this kid comes up to try to go to church and she's like oh no you can't go in there she's like do you hear the the sound of shooting there's there's like you don't want to go in there and so she's basically like want to vape and he's like why aren't you in there and she's like well Dad says you can't have a gun until you get your junior service. So it's like, even the gangsters in Ireland have principles. McGrath shoots Dermot, and it looks like he's down. That's way... I thought that was in the end, Laura. No, this happens now. How many times did Dermot get shot? Once. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Sorry. Pixie and the boys, they're trying to escape, but they run into Mick. Mick is... He's like, you're going to go meet your whore mother. You made my dad weak. And then how does he get knocked down? There's some kind of interaction because Gareth comes up behind them. Something happens. I can't, I I just watched this movie and I can't tell you what happens. But there's something that happens. He gets knocked down and there's Gareth. And then Pixie has the gun and she's standing over Mick. And he's like, please don't kill me. We're and she goes you're not meanwhile he was about go ahead yeah he was gonna kill her no problem yeah no problem then he's like no we're family and then she was gonna kill him and she's like oh you're not worth the bullet you never do that and she goes ah maybe just one and she shoots him in some nondescript area i don't really know where i feel like she shot him in the dick yeah it was below the waist could be leg, could be, yeah, somewhere there. And then she stops to make out with Gareth for a minute. The guys are like, come on, Pixie, we gotta go. So she gives Gareth the gun. So maybe he finishes Mick off, because we, we don't know actually Mick's fate. No, actually, so we like don't. Think that, yeah, I'd like to think that Gareth, Gareth got Mick. Because they're running out of the church, and Father Hector is following them. And he's like, Pixie, what's your favorite prayer? And just as he says that, and it looks like all is lost, there's Dermot, pop, Father Hector, he goes down. And then Pixie's like, oh, Dad, let me see. Ah, it's just a flesh wound. He just got shot in the arm. And then Summer runs over to see how he is. Stop poking it! Poor Summer! Harland has a moment, and he's like, I'll be right back. So he runs into the church, and we kind of see him, like, dodging around, and then we go back outside, and we hear the gunfire stop. Mm. And Harland's not back yet. 
And then he comes running out of the church with the bag of money. Yeah, that was very much his, this is my fight song. Yeah. Take back my life song moment. And they get in the car and take off. And then we and go. And they live to see another day. Yeah. And then we go to the airport and Pixie's getting on her flight to San Francisco. You know, they're calling for, to board the plane and she's hugging the guys goodbye. And she said that when her mom was really sick, she told her, whatever you choose, however many roads you travel, I hope that you choose not to be a lady. I hope that you find some way to break the rules and something about trouble out there. I also hope you choose... Make some trouble. Make some trouble out there. I also hope you choose to make some of that trouble on behalf of women. To which the boys inform her that she's made enough trouble for a thousand women. And she's like, oh, I was hoping for a million. So she... But yeah, so they've, they've divvied up the money somehow. So she grabs her bag. And goes to her flight. And the guys are like, let's look at the money again. And they open the bag and it's just full of toilet paper and copies of the photos of Frank that she took. In the makeup. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, Pixie. And they're yelling after her, but they can't follow because she's past the security checkpoint. Yeah. So she keeps walking and chuckling to herself as they keep yelling. And she goes off into the sunset and that's pixie and that's pixie that's pixie i pulled quotes from two reviews so the first review is by matt zoller sites from uh rogerebert.com and he didn't like this he said the crime comedy pixie dissolves in the mind as you're watching it you've seen it before and the it you've seen before is the most derivative version of it pixie feels as if it arrived via time warp from about 1998, most likely on a VHS cassette with a clearance sticker on the slipcase. But Kath Clark from The Guardian said, Cook is really terrific, easily carrying the movie with her swallowed a light bulb screen presence. I wonder if naming her Pixie was a little dig at Hollywood's manic pixie girl cliche, the female character who exists mm. only to help men change and grow. By contrast, Pixie is her own woman, out for what she can get, an amoral, selfish, free spirit. And yet, is she still a male fantasy? The script written by the director's son, Preston Thomas, doesn't do an awful lot to peel away the layers of seductiveness to find the real woman, but maybe it's just not that kind of film. I see what she's saying. Like, obviously, I disagree with the other guy, because, yeah, we have seen films similar to this, but I think this one... It if you just look at it at service level, sure, maybe. And I wouldn't expect less from a, a male reviewer. But I appreciate what the um, woman reviewer said. Um, but it's like, because everyone always, like, this is what I wrote. So I hadn't seen a review by a woman yet. So I've said, I've yet to see a woman review this film. The general consensus is that Pixie is like a thin fatale. Kind of use them and lose them with men. And she may be that because it's like she's described as selfish and manipulative and cunning and that she may be. She's also a person that has experienced tremendous trauma, literally had everything in her life taken from her because it's like, yes, she has her stepdad, but her mom was the most important thing in her life. It's very apparent in the script and the way that she feels and talks about her mother. Her mother was the most important thing to her. And her mother was taken from her by a jealous ex-sibling. So it's like she's experienced tremendous trauma. And in the beginning, when she finds out 
what's happened, when she figures it out, she isn't out for revenge. She just wants to leave. She wants to start over. So it's like, yes, she does manipulate men to get that, but she's not seeking to kill anyone. She's not seeking to do what they did to her mother, to someone else. She just wants to get away and start over. And she's going to do that by using these men who then fuck that up. So then it becomes, you know what? We're going to, we're going to avenge my mom. We're going to make them pay. And unlike most female characters and the manic, I love that she brought up the manic pixie character. Unlike most female characters, she's willing to use the people around her that would use her if she, if she let them to start a new life to get where she needs to go because it's like this it's like if pixie did, wasn't using the people to get what she wants they would eventually use her and what do you think they wouldn't take care of her no like i agree the only person in this film that really cares for pixie you know but i feel like again there's some brackets around that is the stepdad because again, he's he, you know what he's involved in, but still, it's it's a it's a it's not a good environment. It's a dangerous environment for her. It's one she wanted out of. She didn't initially go down this road, but when pushed, she did. So I just think it's interesting because I don't even know if it's selfish. Because is it selfish to tell someone who's experienced something that is a person's worst nightmare? Is it selfish to want to get out of that situation and start over? The only reason it's a problem is that they stole from the other gang. It's like, guys do this in movies all the time, and people don't mm -hmm. describe them as selfish. No, they're like, oh, they're cool. They're so, you know, they, they, they think on their feet, and they're one step ahead of everybody. Like, you don't ever hear the term manipulative or something in that regard. I mean, I don't even feel like you hear the term cunning. It feels like that's reserved for only women when they do this. Although I think cunning can be a really good thing. I consider cunning to be, honestly, I consider cunning to be an attribute, but I never hear a man described, I really don't hear a man described as cunning that often. Yeah, because it's more like a sneaky thing, and sneaky's not good. Yeah, it's like, oh, they have, you know, they have street smarts, and they have style and they know how to work people and it's there's just another way they just have different ways of putting it i just don't ever hear it as manipulative or cunning yeah or selfish yeah and that's i don't know but i just i felt slightly triggered by the word selfish because i'm just like i feel like you aren't even thinking about this and that's the thing trauma against women is so normalized in our culture that we don't even think about it when we're considering a character's behavior in a, in, in media, we're just like, Oh, why should, why? I mean, yeah, her mom died, but I mean, like nothing happened to her. She's fine. Well, let's flip it and say that this storyline, that it was a Jason Statham character and his mom was murdered by someone. Murdered by his stepbrother. Yeah. Then they would be like, Oh yeah, he's got to get revenge against the stepbrother. If There's he a whole fucking movie about Keanu Reeves avenging his puppy that was murdered. You know what I mean? Go ahead. I'm sorry. So, no, no, I'm just, uh, yeah. If it was, this was some storyline with, like I said, Jason Statham, people would be like, oh yeah, he was, you know, that was a smart move. He was taking advantage of something. You know, game recognizes game. Basically kind of thing. It wouldn't be like, oh, he was selfish and manipulating these people. No, and it's like as likable, because they really try to make 
the two lead males likable. And they are likable. Like, yeah, they're funny they're and entertaining. and Yeah, they're funny. They're entertaining. But obviously, they're not the best people because some of their go-to actions, their knee-jerk reactions, are not good. Like, a good, in my opinion, a good person's knee-jerk response to something is not to run someone over with a car. <laughs> yeah. A good person's knee-jerk reaction to not getting something they want is to blackmail someone with inappropriate behavior with women or statutory rape instead of turning that over to the proper authority. A, a good person's knee-jerk response might not be to expect someone to have sex with two different people in a night without considering their feelings in it, you know? Yeah. So it's like, while I don't think they're the worst people, I don't think that they're completely innocent in all of this. That's why I don't have a problem with what, how the movie ends. So what letter grade would you give this? I will give this movie a solid A. I loved it. I love the story. I like the way that it's filmed. I think I think the style is really cool. I love Olivia Cook. Um, I love the whole cast. I think even though I don't find a lot of the characters redeemable or likable, everyone does a really good job at being that character. Yeah, I and agree yeah, with that. And I like the story because it had some twists and turns. I didn't think about the fact that the stepfather might have been responsible for the mother's murder. You know, they don't really, it, it builds on itself really nicely. And it's fun. It's just, it's kind of just fun to, to watch. I'm going to give it a B plus. Because at the very beginning, when she's like, she's talking to her mom and she's something about what this town did to you. And I was like, oh, she's going to get revenge on the town. And then it's not that. I feel like the beginning is slightly misleading. Mm. But I really like the rest of it. I think it's super fun. I've watched it. Well, I watched it after you told me to watch it. And then I watched it on Christmas break with mom and dad. And then I watched it again. Mm -hmm. So I've seen it three times in like the last six months, which is a lot for me. November, I've seen it four times. And the only movie I've watched more than that in that period of time is Encanto. I find it very enjoyable. Is it a perfect movie? No, but I like it a lot. Yeah, and I, and I think my letter grade isn't necessarily about it being a perfect movie. I guess yeah. I should have prefaced that. I'm just going based off my how I liked it. And I, I really did enjoy it. And something, too. So I was looking at a lot of films that come out of UK and Ireland. There is not a lot of diversity. So no. the fact that there was any diversity in the film, granted, it was only one character, really. Like, I think we had two characters of color in the whole thing. But, like, the fact that there was any, because, like I said, I watched several movies on my flights home. And that was the only one out of the I Ireland or the UK that had characters and actors of color. That That is something that we're going to be talking about in the Irish cinema class. So, so that, that was something that I found interesting. It's not like it should be commended for having two roles, but it's very interesting to me that it was out of everything that I watched and, and recommended to me because we had a lot of films recommended to us when we were over in Ireland. It is the only one that had characters of color. Excellent point. But I think the A for me comes from, it's like, like, I really have a problem with how they tried to make these boys so likable mm -hmm. and try to make you feel bad for them. I mean, maybe they don't, but maybe it's just my cultural conditioning that makes me feel like I should. Uh, makes me feel like I should. But they say some pretty horrible things. Yeah. Like, not just about women. They have a, a whole thing about, oh, you know, if you go to jail, man, you're not cut out for jail. And they make some really 
homophobic kind of yeah. innuendo. So I just like that they get their comeuppance at the end because initially it was like, oh, I don't love that. But then they, <laughs> they go through it and they get nothing in the end. Except a nothing. valuable experience. Yeah, they do live. Yeah. Which, you know, I think is about all they deserve. <laughs> so do you have a recommendation? I do have a recommendation. So I was really trying to think about something that gave me kind of the same vibe. Action, fun, female-led. And the first thing that came to my mind was Gunpowder Milkshake, which is on Netflix. And this is an action thriller that came out in 2021. It's directed by Navat Papuchado. Papuchado with a script that's co-written by Papuchato and Ehud Lovsky. Sorry, I'm struggling with names. I'm trying not to. But it stars Karen Gillan as a young hit woman who must team up with her estranged mother, Lena Hetty, and her former colleagues, Carla Gugino, Michelle Yao, and Angela Bassett, in order to save a young girl, Chloe Coleman, from rival assassins. That one's really fun. Kind of a, yeah, we have kind of the, um, the gang versus gang kind of feel. but. It's different, but it does give me similar vibes. Also, I will say that if you haven't seen it, look at this guy's directorial debut. He was also an associate producer on Spice World. I just feel like that really needs to be said. So Barnaby Thompson is cool in my book. So producer on Spice World, directorial debut is my second recommendation, St. Trinian from 2007. This this is synopsis is the legacy of the most notorious school in England, England looks likely to come to an abrupt end as head mistress Fr- Mrs. Fritton can't pay the bills and straight laced education minister Jeffrey Thwaite is setting is set on closing the doors of St. Trinian's for good. And this stars Rupert Everett, Colin Firth, Russell Brand, Tallulah Riley, Lena Hetty again, Gemma Arterton, and is directed it looks like it's co-directed by Barnaby Thompson and Oliver Parker. Yes, it is a fun one. It's so fun. In fact, I might watch it tonight. What is your recommendation, sister? Well, my recommendation is Wild Target from 2010, directed by Jonathan Lynn, and it stars Bill Nye, Emily Blunt, Rupert Grint, Eileen Atkins, Martin Freeman, and Rupert Everett. The screenplay <laughs> by Lucinda... Coxon? Coxon. And it is top European assassin Victor decides to save his target rather than kill her after she sells a fake painting to a vicious gangster. Later, Victor becomes an unwitting mentor to a young protege, and the trio find themselves caught in the crosshairs of another hitman. So basically, it's like a buddy film with Bill Nye, Emily Blunt, and Rupert Grint. Cool. Um, I've never heard of this. It's, it's just fun fun and kind of sweet and I love Emily Blunt she's really good in it she's one of my favorite actors I think I figured that out over actually because she was in one of the films the other films that I watched on one of my flights called Wild Mountain Time and in that I realized I was like okay so if Emily Blunt's in this I'm pretty much gonna watch it so that's how I am with Kate Winslet as well it's like if Kate Winslet's in it I already know I'm going to watch it that's one way to figure out who some of your favorite actors are if it's like I don't care what it is they're in it I'll watch it it's like I'm on a plane I guess I can or this is what I want to watch even though I don't know what it's, I think that's it but it feels great to be back we need to do this more yeah our next episode is going to be our patron pick episode thank you Doug <gasps> Doug we love Doug. And he's picked a movie that I've been wanting to see for a while starring Kirsten Dunst heck yeah which one is it? Don't tell me. 
Okay. Tell me I'll, later. I'll tell you later. But Sweet. yeah, in the meantime, watch Doug's or watch Doug's podcast. Listen to Doug's podcast called Good Times, Great Movies. Uh, they've covered some really great stuff. They covered Vampire's uh, Kiss this summer. I saw that. I saw it, and I was so excited. That movie is a roller coaster. I know Nicholas oh Cage' this- best performance. All right. Well, let's do an outro. Okay. Ready? Say bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemmespodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode, because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.